Well, everybody that's listening, this is something I've been wanting to do for a very long time. Uh, I've been doing the the podcast with Abram, and it's great. We handle, you know, talk about issues, it, it, a lot of important stuff that we were wanting to do, and we, we, we fulfill that part of, you know, our, our wants, that, that, that mission. But there's a part of me, too, that is not always the most reverent person, probably an, an irreverent person uh, that doesn't always think before he speaks, that doesn't always, uh, uh, whose words aren't always to be taken serious. Um, and that's the kind of person that I get to be around, like be when I'm with my friends. So if I can pick a certain person where I feel like uh, these conversations come out best or you know, that, that side of me comes up the best. It's, it's my co-host on, on this, this new experiment, which we're, we're going to call irreverent and irrelevant because I don't think either he or I, he, he's more relevant than me in a lot of ways, but, uh, we're both irreverent. And, uh, I just want to introduce you to him. This is a person I've been trying to get to do a podcast for a long time. Um, he's a busy man. So I'm glad that he finally stepped in. This is, this is my good buddy, should, can I use your last name? Should I not use your last name? How much he you are could, we? Yeah, no, you could use my last name. There are like 800 of us just in probably Florida. So, yeah, I think we're safe. This is my 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 good pal, Matt Murphy. Uh, Matt is a multifaceted guy. Okay, so I, I met Matt in working in pro wrestling. And instantly... I think just clicked with them just because we have that same kind of, I think we have a, a same outlook on a lot of things, but we're also the same personality. And if you've never worked in pro wrestling, whether it's, you know, at the indie level, higher levels, there's, there's something with the culture that you have to be able to have kind of a sixth sense of humor and be able to laugh through things and kind of laugh at the absurdity of what you're doing while taking it serious at the exact same time. Uh, that's just a, so the sense of humor is they get fashioned and, and then the friendships and that to get fashioned in pro, in pro wrestling are hilarious and one of a kind like that. Uh, Matt's definitely one of these guys who, you know, I've met and and had that, you know, good connection, great conversations in, uh, you know, driving to and from venues. Um, so it, I was always really excited to to I always I always like getting your outlook on things, but also uh, just more importantly. I have fun just shooting the shit with you. And like, before we get too much into, you know, Matt and, and, and his background, which I think is fascinating. Um, this all kind of spawned off of uh, Matt and I, and our friend, Mike, we have a thread, you know, that we kind of just talk to each other on. And I think that it's funny because throughout the day, we all just, we'll, we'll throw something out there, whether it's just, you know, something we've seen in pro wrestling, something that we used to, you know, a movie, a song or some, we all just throw ideas into this hat. And like throughout the day, we take turns chiming in or replying to it. And sometimes some of us go a day or so, but these conversations sometimes just go off the fucking wire. They just <laughs> go like, it could start off as something so simple. Hey, did you guys see that game last night? And by the end of it, we're just going on about, you know, rich dudes wives and what we think they do or you know something along that line and i always thought man if i could just take these conversations 
and just display them to people, of course, with editing certain things out, because if you don't know us, you're going to think we're complete fucking creeps. But if I could do that, that's what I'd want to do. And that's why I've asked Matt to to partner up with me on this. So uh, with all that being said, I'll, I'll get more into Matt now. And I'll even let Matt talk for himself. Believe it or not, I won't talk the whole fucking time. Matt will get in on this. Um, oh, is my Matt, mic on? Let me make sure I got this right. So, Matt, I think if it, like it, it, you, pro wrestling, how long did you you wrestle for? Um, not a whole lot of years, honestly. So I was involved in the wrestling business for a lot of years. Um, actually, being in the ring, I was. Uh, let's see, I went from the beginning of '99 until the end of '02. I uh, had one match back in 03 and uh, came back for a year in 2011. So, yeah, not a whole lot of years. Maybe what what's that come up to? Five, six years, something like that. But you, you did a lot. Like, so you, if I have this right, how many tours in Japan did you do? Three. Three tours in Japan with some pretty high profile talent. You got to rub some, rub some. Yeah. Elbow. Um, you did some shots with WWE. Right. Sunday night heats and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you were the right hand man of the legend Harley race for, for how long? I mean, like you, weren't you kind of there in the beginning of the development of like what is now WLW? Yeah. So, uh, when I came to train with Harley, so the first time I ever met Harley was, um, they, it was world Legion wrestling and it was run by Dave Marquez who, um, has done a whole lot. He's out there with you in Hollywood now. And, um, but Dave had world Legion wrestling out of Springfield, Missouri, and Harley was just the booker. And I found out they were going to be near me. And so I went to a show, I, I called ahead and, um, was going to be at ringside taking pictures and told them that I had started training out in Virginia. And so they had me get in the ring with this guy, Matt Taylor. And he, uh, he and I just did like maybe five or 10 minute match. And afterwards Harley asked him how it was. And he said, it was good. He said, I had a really stiff drop kick that I needed to lighten up on. And so Harley put me in the ring with this guy who was a radio DJ that claimed to be a former wrestler. Harley had never heard of him. So he told me to get in there and, um, he, he said, you know, just walk him through a little bit and then I want you to drop kick him right in the face. So <laughs> I went through the match and I did, but when I did, I'd just been told to lighten up my drop kick and this guy didn't do anything to me. I didn't know about the, the tough guy side of the business. So, um, I went in and I threw this drop kick and it was just big, pretty drop kick light as a feather. And so Harley came up to me afterwards and he said, what the fuck was that? So he was, he wasn't happy. And, um, but he told me years later that he liked me from that moment because he knew that I was compassionate and that I wasn't, I, you know, I, I wasn't a bully or anything, which how the hell was I going to be a bully? I was 190 pounds and a big man's business. But, um, but yeah, so from 99, until oh probably 2008 i was doing all kinds of stuff in the in the business uh mostly with harley um from booking to kind of well training and training people to wrestling school doing tv production play-by-play announcing ring announcing just pretty much everything so how long so you've seen some pretty big name well i would say names absolutely go through that organization that you either had a hand in training with or you worked with like what are some of the names that that even you know like obviously 
big time wrestling fans are going to know a lot, but like mm-hmm. maybe just like your your casual WWE fan or, or some that they might know. Um, so actually two of the guys who were my favorites growing up were, um, Haku and Bobby Eaton. And within my first year of working with Harley, I had a chance to work with both of those guys. Um, but they had, um, yeah, Haku, the barbarian, um, let's see, Bobby Eaton came in, um, boss man, Mr. Perfect, Hacksaw Butch Reed was around quite a bit, um, a very young CM Punk did some, did some shows for us. Uh, a steel like there there were a lot of really awesome guys that came through um legends and guys who went on to do some great stuff and then some other ones that trained at the uh at the academy like curtis axel and uh ted dibiase jr um bonsai uh ryan tran he's the uh, uh he's a referee for wwe now but he was a really good worker too yeah that's what i always i i heard one of my favorite stories that i think it was trent stone told me was that Bonsai was working with one of the green kids, like one of the one of the new, like out of school, was getting ready to walk into a match, mm-hmm. and I guess they had set these kids up in a tag match, and so Bonsai like basically was just telling him like, all right, guys, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna get in there. We're gonna. And he lays this whole match out, mm-hmm. and then right when the bell rings, he just tags the other dude in, which totally fucking awesome. negates anything they talked about, and just these kids had this look of like they're gonna shit their pants. But it taught them to like, you have to work. You got to get in there and do it and wrestle. And like, it would, I, the way the story was told was like, oh, you know, because you, you, when you're green, you know, like I remember my first time wrestling on my own. I was like, you think it's like you, you're in there training and you think you got it and you think it's like, you know what you're doing. And then they like, you're in a show and they ring the bell and you just, you go fucking blank. You're just kind of like, yeah. wait a minute, this is the real thing. Yeah. And it, it scares the shit out of you. So like, I was lucky enough that like in my first matches, it was like, it was what it was. No one threw too much of a, I think like the worst case scenario is I got my ass beat by like a bunch of guys in a battle Royal, but that was easier because all I had to do was just take getting hit. Yeah. It wasn't, I didn't think about anything. So if you're in a match and you're, you're like, in a, especially a tag match with two distinguished good wrestlers and you're just going to try and hang in there. And then they just fucking scrap the entire thing right in the beginning just to watch you. I mean, I could, that would make me shit my pants. I'll be honest with you. No one ever did that to me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's it's brilliant. It's brilliant. So one of the guys that uh, actually started at the school the same time as I did was Trevor Murdoch, who went on to, uh, you know, become a WWE tag team champion three times and is currently the NWA world heavyweight champion. But he, um, he and I had a match and I was always about like, let's just call it in the ring. We'll have like kind of the skeleton in mind. There were times I didn't think about a single move except maybe the finish before I was, before the bell rang. I didn't even think about it before I locked up. And um, so he and I had a match one time opening match because we were coming back for a tag match later. And on the opening spot of the opening match of the show, he hit the ropes hard and the uh, top rope broke. So we had to go 12 minutes and <laughs> you know, it was just, it was a damn good thing. We were able to walk and talk, but uh, I use that example over and over for these people who like to choreograph things like it's a dance. You know, oh, never know what's going to happen. That is, God, you're missing, like the rope goes. Like the, the, the one thing you need. I don't, the only thing yeah. I have that's semi close to that, and it wasn't, it was definitely not early on. This was later on because I was working a match and the bottom rope broke, right? So all we knew is I was going to go out and set up 
and this is like in the beginning of the show, I was going to set up a match as a heel with their, their babyface champion. Mm. And you know me, I like to fuck around when I get out there. It's re- like now when I look back at some of my matches, I'm, I'm surprised people didn't punch me in the face. Like when I got it, just, just, I just went off on whatever. So we get in there and, and the funniest thing is he was like a serious guy, but he pulled the rib on me because we were setting up our match. Well, he turns it into a submission match just in the <laughs> promo, which there's no bottom rope. So it's like, <laughs> it's just, man, like at first I'm like, oh shit, what do we do? And then he throws that at me like dead serious. And in the back of my head, I'm like, there's no fucking rope breaks. Like, you, and then I'm like, I, I didn't laugh. I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, that's awesome. That was, but I was like experienced by that point. You know, I had been a few years in. So like being young, <laughs> the top rope, like some people would, but it's like, that is, it's a huge fucking deal. Like, yeah, so that, yeah, for if sure. If you ever had to do it with somebody, would I would, I would want to pick Trevor in some way. You know what I mean? He just, yeah, he's like he's, the right guy you want to be in there with when something like that happens. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He, and he and I had, we trusted each other in the ring and we had great chemistry. So it was, it was easy to just like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to just call it. So did, did Trevor go to, did he do any of the tours in Japan with you? No, he didn't. He actually, um, went over after I was done with wrestling. So, Oh shit. Yeah. So, well done the first time, I guess it was, um, probably Oh three, Oh four, but he actually went over and spent six months in the dojo. Um, and then his dojo trainings ultimately what got him the job with WWE because he was um, just there as an extra just to do do a job maybe. And uh, he was out before the show and he started doing these stretches at ringside. And Chris Benoit saw it and recognized some of the stretches from his days in the dojo with New Japan. And so he went up and asked Trevor where he learned how to do that. And I, it wasn't an accident. Trevor wasn't just stretching. He knew exactly what he was yeah. doing because he's – he he puts on this facade of just being this uh oh shucks redneck, but he, <laughs> he it was a very strategic move that got him a, a contract and a four year run with WWE. So it, it hats off to him. Yeah, he's not you don't exactly. No, those people that play that shit off like, oh, I didn't know. It's like and just to the so so if you're listening and you're not one hundred percent familiar with the pro wrestling world like training in the dojo is these japanese companies have their own training facilities and like they're pretty intense like i would put the training that and i'm not i don't know firsthand this is just what i've heard from everybody that's there and like you know clips and that that i've seen this shit is like the equivalent to what you're going to put any other major athlete through like oh for sure like i think it was jake durden told me something about having to do 200 leg lifts like just mm-hmm. right off the bat when he got there. And it's like, that doesn't, that's, and these guys, like they can, when they do stretches, they can literally roll their neck to where they touch their forehead on the, it's, it's fucking insane. And like, you are thrown into that and they want, I mean, you have to, you have to keep up or try to keep up. And then they, one thing I found that was really cool is, and I, it was, they'd make, everyone has like a role, I guess, in the dojo. Like, yeah, you take turns cleaning or, or cooking or, so it's like this community thing and it's like it sounds really cool one of the things that i fucked up when i was in wrestling is i had such add i I don't think i ever stuck to any course of action that i should have to be successful at all but there was a chance a couple chances where it was like hey would you like to go to japan now i was gonna have to like really push it on my end Mm -hmm. and like a fucking idiot i was like no if they really you know 
another opportunity to come where like it'll be more. And I look back like you're an idiot. You should have. That's as a wrestler and now as a human with a cool experience. That would that was something I should have just sacrificed every. As much as I do that with other shit, like with comedy and everything, it's like why didn't I do that for wrestling? Like I don't. That's you know it's it, it baffles my. I, when I look back at it, one thing I'll definitely say. The person for me to not get further in pro wrestling is one hundred and twenty five thousand percent my fucking fault. Like there was no oh, same here. Yeah. And it's that kind of shit where you're like, you know, I I'll watch it with like, you know, one of my friends and coworkers who's just totally into it. Dude. So we show like I'll send them clips from like stardom or older Noah or mm-hmm. you know, older New Japan, all Japan shit like that. You know, and it's like every time he'll be like, why did, did you ever go to or he, not every time but he would be like, did did you ever go to Japan or did you ever? And it's like, you know, you have that regret where you're like, it fucking like hits you in the the pit of your soul. Like just that simple question. I'm like, no, and I'm an idiot. And I could have, and, or, or I could have at least done a better job at trying. You know, it's, yeah. there's a lot of shit. There's that. There was like, I'd been, at, I'd been told to go down to Harley's way sooner mm-hmm. than I ever. And it was like, but you know, it, hindsight, it's like everything works out the way it was. I, I've always been a much better comedian than I was a wrestler. Like I loved wrestling. <laughs> I don't know, and man. I've, I've seen your comedy. I had a value because somehow I ended up in like shows with like the quote unquote. As much as I was giving shit about how bad I wrestle, I was always in the same fucking shows as like the good wrestlers and all that. So it's like <laughs> something was there, but. I definitely didn't fucking do what I was supposed to do in a lot of ways. And I look back and laugh, but so that like with you getting to go to Japan, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, honestly, I could, and, and it's like easier said than done. I could rest easy on that. You know, knowing I at least did that. So I, I give you yeah. that. You, you, you got well, to do that. Part. If, if you look at the glass uh, being half full, you didn't have to be on tour with Vader. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's, you know, God rest his soul, I guess. But yeah, no, it, at least you didn't have to be around that miserable ball of snot. So what I, okay, now we're on it. I'm going to ask you, what is the story about skid marks, man? And this guy's underwear. Um, so I guess I, uh, let me just say this. Vader was inside the ring. I won't call him one of the, one of the best big man workers of all time because he hurt people. And if you hurt people, you suck at what you do. But as far as his understanding of the business and his ability to have great matches, uh, he was as good as any big man there's ever been. But um, he uh, sucked as a human being. He was miserable. Like, I don't know if it's because he was like, I don't know if it was that endless cycle of like binging on cheeseburgers and then getting lipo every six months i i don't know what it was and that's that's the truth uh, that that was an actual thing but he um he just sucked as a man like um he he would be on the tour bus going from one show to another and he would just look back and be like my son has bigger arms than you and he's 15 like yeah your son is also descended from a former NFL football player who's 400 plus pounds, who'd be 900 pounds if he was like, if he was living right and not taking shortcuts. And, um, but he's like genetically going to be a large kid and you've had him with a personal trainer since he was 12. So yeah, there's a good chance. Now in his defense, I didn't put the work into developing my body like I should have and uh, missed out on some opportunities because of it. But 
one of the things that he would do um, that was, I, I guess it was, it was just uncomfortable is we'd be in the locker room and he would strip down to his tidy whities and just drop them to the floor. And I mean, you know, you're trying to look anywhere, but at, at somebody's crotch when they do that. And you look down at the floor and you see that like these size, I don't know, 63, four, I don't know. I don't know what, how they size underwear after a certain point, but um, they have these gigantic tidy whities with, it seriously looked like, like they say skid mark. And usually, you know, when you're talking about a normal person, a skid mark would be like uh, a pretty modest, more like, more like a, a marker streak, you know, but with Vader, it was legit. It looked like somebody was on a dirt bike and just started peeling out. Like it was <laughs> like, a, like, I mean, I'm talking probably a good, a good six to eight inches wide and then spanning about three feet. From ball, oh, like I mean, from balls to spine, you know, it was it was horrible. <laughs> so, I um, I, I mean, and you can't say it. Like, what are you going to say to Vader about it? You know, yeah. hey, nice, nice crusties. No, he's go like he would detach your head from your shoulders, like, and you couldn't do anything about it. Like, if he decided he was going to hurt you, it was just going to happen. Like, I'm not, I'm not Paul Orndorff, you know. Like, the I, I was just some dude, like, um. Just be, you know, just because I might like might have won a bar fight or two in my day doesn't make me like anywhere close to Vader's level. So it was just you're like about, yeah, you're one ninety. You said like about one ninety. By that point, I was about two ten. Okay, about two ten. But he's still weighing in at easily. What do you think of that? In the four hundreds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and this is a guy who is even before pro wrestling trained just in the NFL to move that size yeah you know, he was like he's just you know eating himself and like one of those reality shows where they got to like detach a wall to take the people to the fucking hospital like this guy is a <laughs> an athlete yeah at that size so he can move so it's yeah. like that's that's difficult to deal with that's like trying to fucking fight a tank you know well yeah and a tank with quick hands like that that's the thing like you know setting aside reality for a minute and reality is one punch and it would have been over but if he and I were going toe to toe and I could have withstood his his strikes, if we were just straight up throwing hands, no rhyme, no reason, just throwing our hands at each other as fast as we could, he would have matched me punch for punch, if not beat me like he was quick. Like, I mean, so, yeah, it was like he was a scary ass dude, but um, but he was also a bully, you know, like a, lo a lot of the real tough guys. Like, I've never heard of like I've never heard a story in my life about Steve Blackman bullying anybody, you know, yeah. and he was legit. Yeah, like that wasn't just his gimmick. Like he could like he could legit kick ass. Um, but Vader wasn't like that. And he just I, I think he was like just an unhappy guy who wanted to bring everybody else down to his level. And it made for some really unpleasant times. Um to a point where like I was okay with never going back to Japan if he was going to be on tour. But luckily I was only on one of the, one of my three tours was a tour that he was on. Yeah. I think it's like people like that, man. It's, I always say it's either like they were fucked with so hard growing up that they just like radiate it back or they are, they don't have social skills like plain and simple. They don't know how mm -hmm. to just have a conversation so they fucking probably had, you know, they probably didn't make friends. They probably didn't do it. So they became bitter. So it's like not knowing yeah. how to interact. They they found the wrong way was the way they got the most like 
I guess, reaction. And then they mm-hmm. just use that and have like bitterness. Oh, I, like, I don't want to say there's people, you could be a fucking stud, you know, in, in, in sports, but like not be able to have a conversation or have social skills. Then you have somebody that yeah. is near your physical strength or whatever. And they're a social dynamo, you know, like me. I'm just a charismatic motherfucker. Okay. <laughs> So I, I, but I can't do anything that Vader can do. So it, like, if he were to look at me and be like this little fuck, there's gotta be that like anger where it's like, you know, he's, and he sees yeah. enough of those people that it just makes you fucking mad. And it's like, all right, fine. I'm the big asshole. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to get what works for me. And, and I, like I said, I don't know what other shit went through. I'm not going to like, usually though, people that I, I just don't think somebody like would just become a bully. Just because, you know, I don't know, unless you're like really born a sick fuck, usually a bully's made, you know, yeah. in some way. But he, you know what, it, it sucks because, like you said, it's like the dudes who are like, in my life, the people that I've met that are the toughest guys are usually the nicest. And every mm-hmm. shit talker I've ever met, or like that guy that, you know, in wrestling, we know that, that guy that like tries to fucking puff his chest, you usually find out at some point that he's full of shit. Like that's, yeah. it, it's such a common thing. To where it's like the guys who are generally pretty fucking nice are like I've never I've seen two examples of Bob Orton where one of the nicest guys to interact with. Like, and if you ask him, you know, I was very lucky early on in my wrestling career that I got to be around him a lot. Mm-hmm. And anytime I asked a question, he answered it anytime, you know, and I've been in the ring with that guy and I've been his tag partner, you know, and I've watched two times where just. He whooped someone's ass or just had to make had to make a point, you know, to somebody. He didn't have to. He did like either they did something that was unsafe. He didn't appreciate it. He let him know. But Mm -hmm. like other than that, that guy was one of the nicest people that I'd ever. You know what I mean? Like interacting. I never saw that from him. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I'm going to. But like, yeah, I think one time I watched a guy go to uh, to give him a clothesline and the guy slipped and he basically just drilled his hand across bob's face oh jeez. yeah i think bob just saw this, like the dude just not giving a fuck and just throwing hands and like, Man, when i tell you he whooped their ass it was a tag team he whooped that dude's ass pulled the other guy over the rope and whooped his ass like <laughs> everybody is just like oh it's the show and i'm like oh fuck no it ain't me <laughs> wow that's awesome but yeah, he, like, he... and then he like and then he let it go like it wasn't like mm-hmm. he kept going it was like point taken you know yeah um, I think at one point I single legged him because like, but I was, I was young and I was like only like 190 pounds mm-hmm. and I grabbed his foot. He went to kick me. I grabbed his foot and he wouldn't fall. So I like single legged him. And I don't think he appreciated that. Cause like when I went to get on top of him, I got punched dead in the forehead and it like <laughs> he fucking flipped me over. It just, he didn't hurt me. He just showed me that like, right. if I need to, I'll, you know, and it wound up being really funny cause he pulled, uh, I had cargo shorts on and my promoter at the time hated that I wore cargo shorts. They were like, dude, wear trunks, be a professional. Mm-hmm. So I think they told him to also put me on my stomach and pull the fucking cargo shorts off and throw them <laughs> in the prop, which he did. So <laughs> that's, that's funny. Awesome. But they were, they, yeah, they weren't, they weren't mean. He wasn't like, he was really, and that's, it's like you said, it's like those guys that you know, are just, cause they don't have to be, you know what I mean? Like usually a badass has, proven himself enough to where he's not defensive he's not scared mm-hmm. he knows that if shit goes wrong he can handle himself 
yeah. to where that guy that's like constantly barking at you, it's like, okay, dude, just like, you know, like I should, I should preference that when they're really trying to lay it on heavy, especially in like wrestling or something like that in the locker mm-hmm. room. That's like, that guy's probably usually a pussy. Um, I say that is because like around my friends, like I, I, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like my, my sense of humor that I grew up with or like, you know, the Marines or whatever did it to me. But like, I love giving people shit sometimes, especially if they're, mm-hmm. like, if they're very nice. It's just funny because they're so nice and you fuck with them to try to get them to like show you a little bit of like, yeah, it, to me, it's done in fun. Like I, if I ever thought they were really mad, I would stop because I don't want to like upset them. Mm-hmm. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's why I don't think I, I it's not the same thing. Cause like, if I was ever, if, if someone ever told me, dude, they're miserable, people don't like being around you because you you bring them down. Like you're miserable. I would feel like shit. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the opposite of what I want to make people feel. If you take joy in that, there's something wrong. Yeah. And you know, I, I can only speak from my own experience. And again, like I, I have to, I have to be as as objective as possible on this. I was a fuck up when I was over to Japan. Like it was an <laughs> opportunity of a lifetime. I went over there and partied my ass off, and just the the hijinks ensued. The moment uh, it doesn't help that one of the one of the vets there, and also a true legend in his own in his own right, Scorpio was there, and he was down for like like we were going out every night and getting and just getting trashed. So Scorpio was always like, he knew, like he never had to go out drinking alone when I was, when I was on tour with him and um, he saved my ass over there too. So, you know, it was, um, I I was glad he was there. Not only was he fun to be around, but he was also smart and spoke um, about seven words of Japanese. Seven words. He's, he'd been over there way too long to not know Japanese better, but he could, he could get by a little (laughs) bit on a conversation. All right, so now that we're on it and the hijinks ensue, I'm going to lead this up by saying that I never thought in my life that I would meet someone that was almost fucked up by the Yakuza, right? The, the yeah. yeah. I never thought I'd meet one person. <laughs> then I went to Metro Pro Wrestling in Kansas City, and I met two. You <laughs> and Magic Man, which wow. makes me laugh because – you're both so like I don't know, and I didn't see you over there. Yeah. But I always know you as just like listen, your words cut like a knife, but you gotta like get you know what I'm saying? Like you gotta be in that in that venue for the Matt Murphy words to cut you like a knife, right? Yeah. It's not like you'll go looking for it. So right, when right. I heard this, I was like, oh shit, I've gotta ask this dude <laughs> how the fuck you because of anybody that I'd ever see. But even in the wrestling business, almost getting fucked up by the Yakuza, mm-hmm. you are not on that list at all. So walk me through this story. I have to, I have to, I have to hear this. Yeah. So, okay. Going over to Japan, one of the things that would just blow your mind how expensive it is, is laundry. So like most of the time with our gear and stuff, we would wash it. Like I would have a little, I don't know pint size bottle of laundry detergent and I would wash my gear in the sink, uh, wrap them up in towels and wring them out and hang them over the shower, uh, the towel rod. And so, but we would get to a point where it's like, all right, like I can't, 
like be on TV and then be walking around dirty, you know? So once like once in a while, especially if we had a day off, we would hit the laundromat. So one of the guys, Bull Schmidt and I, we walked down to the laundromat. It was two blocks maybe from our hotel. And um, I stepped outside to have me a lung dart and two girls are waving at me from across the street. And so, you know, hijinks ensue. Uh, when like it, and you, you can turn around and go back into the laundromat and have no story, no experience, or you can go over and pull out your pocket translator and say konnichiwa. And um, so I was just trying to have a conversation and I was actually, I was interested in trying to have a conversation and practice my Japanese. And I was looking through my, my book and they were giggling at everything I said, because apparently I don't pronounce things correctly. And um so then they they led me like I they led me into this like to this elevator. And so I was like, what else? So I just kind of followed along and um, it opened up into a um, massage parlor. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. And this um, lady came out. She was wearing a kimono. She was a middle aged woman, lots and lots of silver in her hair. She came out and she was aggressive and she was yelling and it was all in Japanese. I didn't understand a word of it. And the two girls scurried away. Well, then she got up in my face. And when she did, she like her hand came up in my face and I was just reacting. I just put like grabbed her in kind of a chicken wing and put her up against the wall. And I ended up with a half Nelson and I wasn't trying to like beat her up or anything. I was just making sure that she didn't claw my eyes out or anything because she was like good and triggered. So I had her in a half Nelson up against the wall and I just looked around and it just, it felt like the world was closing in on me. So I saw a staircase and I went and ran down the stairs and started walking. Like I actually, I went back over to the laundromat to get my stuff and bull and I walked back to the hotel as we're walking back. He said, Hey, those, those girls you told me about, they're following us. And I looked back and they were, and um, they ended up following us all the way to the hotel, got in the elevator, followed us up and, in hindsight, I was I wasn't the most street smart at the time, and I walked straight to my own room and closed the door in their faces. And I called Scorpio immediately, so he wasn't answering his phone. And then there's a knock at my door. Well, Bull had gone and got Scorpio. Thank God. So Scorpio was out. He he came in. He said that they wanted money to provide a service to me, and I said absolutely not. So he went outside. They were talking. He raised his voice, and then he came back into my room. And I said, are they gone? He said, yeah. He goes, dude, you have to be fucking smarter than that. I said, what even happened? And he's like, that massage parlor, that's run by the Yakuza. He's like, they will fucking cut you up. They will murder you in your room. He's like, you get all of your shit together right now and you sleep on Bull's floor tonight. Because if you don't, you're probably going to die tonight. And so... I did my best to sleep that night, but yeah, I didn't have any intention. Like I wasn't out being a clown, you know, I was, I felt like I was taken advantage of uh, just my not speaking the language. And uh, it turned into me, I guess, getting, getting cross with the Japanese mafia. <laughs> yeah. You're chicken wing in their, uh, their mama-san dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that was just an instinctive thing. You know, I wasn't like, I wasn't like, Hey, I learned this at Harley school. Let me test this out. Like I just, Harley says this word. You mean he didn't teach you that right after he showed you how to pull the eyeball out? Like this No, no, he didn't. He this didn't. Is, this is the hooker chicken wing kid. <laughs> no, <laughs> and, and, and the thing was, I was like, 
it, it happens so fast that like you don't run a scenario like that through your head. And I did, it was just like my hands, it, it looked like a Steven Seagal movie, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. my hands just went really quickly. The next thing I know, I have her and a half Nelson up against the wall. And I was just like, it, she scared me and I reacted. That was all. Yeah. So I didn't, there were no strikes or anything like that. I didn't take, I didn't take liberties. Um, and who good, knows? good. That's good. <laughs> and who knows what would have happened. I just know that, you know, at the time, I mean, I was 210, 220. And she wasn't. And I don't know what you expect when you come at somebody aggressively and like raise your hand quickly up towards their face. So uh, I did what I like. I just did what I did. Like I just reacted. Well, yeah, like you're like when they're yelling and you don't know what's going on. And it, like definitely the, the 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 language barrier. You know what I mean? You're hearing someone get loud and you're like, what the fuck? And then like, you know, they're going to put you. I get it. It'd be different if you understood what she was saying or you understood that. You yeah, for sure. It's, it's, I know I get that totally, man. That's that's so how did it conclude? Did you ever hear anything about it from like the I, office or anything? No, like no. And and the office was I mean, there were the major promotions all had ties um, to to the Yakuza. And actually, the guy who was the president or the vice president or, I don't know, one of the top-ranking officials in that company at the time ended up uh, getting ousted because it became public that he had ties to him. So he is super, super nice guy and everything. But, yeah, he, he got pushed away and then passed away not too long after that. Like uh, normal causes? or Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, mean, I just heard that he heard that he passed away. Um like when it happened, but I think it was, I think it was a heart attack or something as far as I know. Was that your last time over there or did you go back after that? That was my, yeah, that was my last time. Uh, was, you would have to have a set of balls. Like, I don't know. Like I, I would be scared. Yeah. But I wouldn't put it past you. It's like, yeah, last time I was here, I fucking got cross with the Yakuza and I'm coming back, you know, like, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I figured that would be your last time or because I didn't know if you scored. Cause like with magic, man, similar situation, man, it seems that their, their hookers are the ones that get you in trouble, <laughs> but, and he had just insulted the girl. Like, you know, I, I'll have to get his, <laughs> yeah. Like, I guess she came up and asked him, he was talking to a pretty girl or no, an American. He saw mm -hmm. an American prostitute. If I remember this or English. So, of course, he's got to walk up and be like, holy shit, what's your story? You know, like, yeah. But when he did, I guess he said another girl, like this older beat up looking like Japanese girl stood in front of him, was like, like trying to take his attention off, you know, like steal him away from her. Yeah. I'm saying something like 500 yen or whatever. And I guess he looked at her and he goes, you'd have to pay me 500 yen to sleep with you. Or something <laughs> like that. And that was the wrong fucking thing, because I guess she whistled or something. And he said, like, car lights came on. They chased him back. Uh, basically like the, but he said there, the office had to like talk to somebody and yeah. so they called them and they were like, listen, stay the fuck in your room for mm -hmm. at least, you know, the night or you're yeah. probably going to get your ass beat. But like kind of the same thing, like next time be smarter with your words, like yeah, or hauling off. But yeah, he was, it was like oh, the same thing you were saying. It was, he was like, dude, he instantly knew like, before anyone said anything, like mm -hmm. I just fucked up, like something bad 
Yeah. And yeah, they were like, they say that he ran into his, his hotel. They were, but I don't think they came up to his room. They were like in the lobby, but like the lobby people were calling him. Like it was, you, you knew. And then, yeah, the office called him was like, Hey man, who did, who did you piss off? What, what? And then it was like, you know, and his whole thing is like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. Please tell him no disrespect. You know? And then they, they were like, all right, well, you're here working with such and such. They're going to let it go, but mm-hmm. don't leave for, at least for tonight. Oh, yeah. So just to make a point, and it's like knowing both of you, I'm just laughing because I'm like the two of all the people I've met in wrestling. Yeah, pretty much both of us get along with everybody. And you two are not the ones that yeah. I thought were bugging almost. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I find is fast. Like, especially like like I said, with you, you have such a quiet demeanor until you get to know you. Right. And that's when I think the hilarity fucking ensues. Like once if someone doesn't know you and they hear you talking, like you can take it either way. You know what I mean? Because you do have that like dry sense. Yeah. But like I, you know, us that know you, it's like we laugh because we know when and when, you know when it's when it, when you're joking and when you're being dead serious and when you're in the middle, when you're kind of both, you know, like mm-hmm. when you're making a point. You're going a little too far just to drive the point home. But yeah. like we know you don't mean all I mean, like we, long story short, I can decipher that with you. Mm. But yeah, people don't know you. That's I think I ran into somebody that knew like went down to Harley's at one point and met you. And they're like, Yeah, I think he hated me or something. Like they brought you up. And I'm like, no, nah, yeah. man, I'm like, I, I think you just, that's just Matt. Like Matt's just like if he doesn't, if you don't know him, you you could possibly think that, mm-hmm. but it was like the way they said, I was like, I just know you. And I'm like, he wouldn't just totally be mean to you off the fucking cuff. That's just not something. Yeah. So I, um, I learned some important lessons that I applied to wrestling. And then later I had to kind of unlearn them. Um, but as a trainer, I learned that soft skills were very, um, they're counterproductive. If I was like, Hey, you know what you're doing? You know, you're doing this good, you're doing this good, but you need to work on this and this is why. And then reinforce, you know, the area of opportunity, like the the typical trainer, like, I guess, path that they take to try to correct something that doesn't work in wrestling. We have 20 guys all trying to get ring time. Um, hey, that look like shit. You know, do it like this. Throw it like you're going to hit it. If they're going to duck, then they duck. And if they don't duck far enough, too, tough shit. And yeah. um you know, it was like it, it was at the time, um, not the softer, gentler version that I think there is today. And um, it, it's funny because Harley's school at the time was in central Missouri and probably almost everybody in the Kansas City and St. Louis areas for the promotions in, in those areas thought I was an asshole because I was kind of Harley's right hand man for a long time. So it was like I was. I was the in-ring worker that was the face of a company that was largely rejecting them and running wherever they wanted and telling people to stay out of their territory. And, um, and, you know, it was, it was Harley, um, you know, being old school and, but, but he was staking his claim where there were already people as well. And the, you know, what, what I always, what the understanding I always had was the St. Louis guys are the shits. The Kansas city guys are the shits. And then I actually later on tried getting Harley to book um, Matt Seidel. And he's like, 
he's 140 pounds. Who wants to see him? And I was like, but he's really good. <laughs> and so years later, after trying to get Harley to book him, I think he was going to college at Mizzou at the time. Yeah. But um, but after trying to get Harley to book him, like maybe a couple years later, we're backstage at a WWE show and the developmental guys come up and they say hi to Harley and shake his hand and Seidel's one of them. And so I was like, hey, that dude has a job now. Remember you wouldn't book him? And he just glared at me. But um, but I thought that I thought that Seidel and Delirious, like I thought they were the outliers and that all the St. Louis guys were the shits. And then when I started working with Metro, I got a chance to see some of like Dingo, dude, that guy was phenomenal in the ring. That's what I was gonna ask. It's like, dude, I like I came up with Matt and Delirious and Dingo, and they yeah. were always like I think that's where like I always had that my general attitude that I suck in the ring came from the fact that those were the guys that I was around. Right. It's like when I'm wrestling, I, they, they, I opened up my career feuding with Dingo. So it's mm-hmm. like when you get in a ring with a guy who's that good. Yeah. And, that, and even then, you know, you're going to feel like shit. And then I, yeah. on the other end, I got Matt Seidel who doesn't touch the fucking ground for longer than three seconds. It's like wrestling. Shit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course. And then delirious. Who's just, just everything he did looked great. He's like, yeah, I felt like the drizzling shits, dude. I was with you. If you'd have been like St. Louis wrestlers and the shits, I'd be like, well, I am. <laughs> These guys are pretty good. No, so I'll I'll tell you what though, it it really grabbed my attention because you know one thing, and without burying you know Harley School or the company or anything, one thing that was a very fair uh, criticism was that there was a big uh, like there was a big void in personality. You know, we could work. We could go out and we could have good matches and make the crowd say yay and boo. But, you know, there were, there were only a couple of people that could really get over that charisma hump and could cut, you know, a damn good promo or, or even a really good promo. Um, so there there. But I started seeing the St. Louis guys. I remember the first time I the first time I saw you in the ring, I didn't see your work. I saw you. I saw you or I heard you talking on the mic while I was backstage. And it like perked my ears up and I was like, holy shit, like this guy's like, he's got chops, you know, and I watched you in the ring and, you know, I was like, and you're like, oh shit, get get on the microphone back. No, man. So here's the thing, like, and you know, you're not the first person I've told this. Um, You were my favorite guy to watch at Metro because you like, you were solid in the ring and you were really like next level with the personality. And it was like, I would rather have somebody that has a hell of a lot of personality and is horrible in the ring than somebody who's, you know, Dean Malenko. So I would rather, I personally would rather watch that um, and, and actually have somebody that can make me care about what they're doing. And so, you know, for you, I, again, I thought, I thought you were like your in-ring work was solid. And so the combination of the two made it really appealing for me to watch you, especially when I was watching, um, at the time in the business, there were just so many people that they were just doing spots and you could tell. And there was like there, there was no the, the, there was no art of storytelling in what they did. And that was always my thing. Like, I didn't care about the moves I did. I didn't like people would ask me, hey, what's your move set? Uh, you mean on WWE 2K? <laughs> you know, like, I, I mean, uh, for my creator wrestler, I've got a move set. For me, like, I don't like if the match needs a top wrist lock, then I'll do it. And if the match needs a, you know, side, like a sidewalk slam. Okay. It probably doesn't, but, um, 
so I always appreciated people that didn't rely on flippy shit to get over. I always tell people when people are like, what kind of moves did you do? I was like, I don't know. Like I literally yeah. I wrestled for 14 years yeah. and I could never, like I, I had, I knew what, what I like to use as finishers, mm-hmm. but it, it's like you said, like I always came up and run, like when I was a fan of wrestling, it was never what the guy did. I was always a fan of the guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, I knew yeah. Jake the snake had a DDT. Yeah. I knew that Hulk Hogan had a leg drop. I knew that, you know, Flair to figure four. Other than that, I didn't give a fuck. Austin yep. had the stunner. It was yep. like I was so into them and what they did yep. that like made me give a shit that like I never thought of that. And it was like when I even in the beginning with matches, it was like instead of going, okay, I want to do this move, this move, and this move, my whole thing was like, what am I supposed to do in this? Like, he's a good guy. So I'm going to make everybody hate me. This is how I'm going to make him hate me. You know what I mean? Like, that's where my mind went. And it was like, I couldn't, I, in fact, man, I went back to watch old GCW shit that I did with Dingo, and I was more technically sound. I don't know if I ever told you this. I watched the match. I was like, who is this motherfucker? (laughs) I was like trading holds with, and I'm like, where the fuck did, you know, it's like, I forgot I ever did that. So like, as I went on, I got more and more away from fucking holds and more Mm -hmm. into like making everybody wait while I stretch or, you know. Yeah, stupid shit like that. It was like, but because I wanted to hear the reaction. That's yeah. Like my thing with comedy, it's like that's why I love comedy. It's like you tell a joke or you tell a story, they're into it or they're not. You yeah. know. And that's why when people are like, what what style of comedy do you do? I can't. Tell. I'm like, I don't know. I I tell funny about me, like <laughs> I don't like what makes them laugh. Like that's yeah. that was always how I was with wrestling too. It's like, what style are you? Like, I don't fucking know. Whatever he yeah. tells me to do, like that's you know, as a promoter, it's like make them think this. Okay. Yeah, and that's like what I was always told when I first wrestled, like about Harley's. Was like the one critique I always got is people are like, "Dude, you're charismatic as fuck. Like, Mm -hmm. you might want to go down to Harley's and learn how to like learn how to be solid in the ring." Because that was kind of how everyone like it was like Harley's was where you learned to be a no shit wrestler, like 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 look fucking good. You know, it was like Mm -hmm. that was it was always said that it was the 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 physical wrestling was prioritized over charisma so it's like hearing you say that it was like yeah that's kind of a yeah you know harley's school and harley's organization was always obvious because it's harley race and he's a legend mm-hmm. he was always on a pedestal but it was really always driven home like do you want to learn how to fucking do this shit and look good yeah and then people would tell me like and i don't know where this is again they're like you might want to hit the gym you're too smart like if you go down there they're gonna laugh you out of that fucking place and i'm like okay <laughs> like then i look back and i'm like looking at people i'm like what the fuck no like you know, i mean yeah. you know Webb and in in you know Jack you know gambling I, I love those guys but I'm like God I probably should have fucking got down here yeah. I remember wrestling Jack the first Jack Gamble the first time and I looked at him and they're like yeah it's one of Harley's guys I was like <laughs> dude I should have fucking went down there <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, he and I are the same size dude like this would have but it was it was uh no like when you say that it's like that's that's dead on like that's that that is how we saw it too so yeah. that's great to hear um so also man you're you're a best-selling author okay let's not let's not get away from that let's not detour yeah. your scho- your your scholar <laughs> chops dude you're selling books what 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 are your what are the t- what are your books please tell everybody what you have written so they can check you out so uh one thing i'm not is good at brevity when it comes to book titles so 
um i was i was one like i i learned how to read and write like at a high level like i was reading at an eighth grade level by third grade and the reason was because i had my nose buried in wrestling magazines like bill bill after was like you know like he he wrote probably 75 percent of the shit that i read as a child and um so i always knew that i wanted to wrestle but i also knew that i wanted to write and when I got into a car accident at the end of 2002, I um, was just kind of at a crossroads and I started writing and uh, trying to organize some thoughts and everything. And then I turned it into a, an autobiography and it was um, it was called the story of a nobody in the pursuit to become a somebody. And I went through I, I was shopping it around and I ended up signing the first contract that was offered to me because I it, I'd been hitting some brick walls for about six months. And um, I signed with the company and turned out the target buyer for the company was the author, the author himself. So uh, they didn't do much like I mean, they they published my book. They brought my my idea for a book cover to life. And then Dusty Rhodes stole it. And um, like, <laughs> like stole it? yeah, like Dusty's books are like the book covers a rip off of mine. And um, and it came out like a couple years later. But. So, um, I, I, it was just not a good experience. Like I almost vomited on my first royalty check. Like I pulled it out of the envelope and I wasn't expecting thousands or anything, but I was expecting, you know, maybe a few hundred bucks, like just something to make me, make me feel validated, you know? And, um, yeah, I opened it up and it was like 12 or $13, something like that. And it was like, I'd heard from more people that said, Hey, I bought your book. than was reflected on my sales report. And so I've, I basically had to let them hold my book hostage for seven years. And, um, is like the day my contract expired with them, I released a new version of it that was called the somebody obsession, because that was, that was always my thing. Like, I remember these people that were, were close to me when I was, when I was growing up who, um, like their parents worked at factories and, you know, now I see that there's not a damn thing wrong with that. But I was just like, that's not the life for me. Like I, like I have to become somebody. So that was like where that title kind of stuck, like stuck in my head. But um, I also wrote one that was called the professional wrestler in the world of sports entertainment. And uh, again, like I, I honestly, I think I probably, it probably took me about 30 seconds to come up with that title. You know, it was like, um, horrible title, but I self-published it. And, um, it was basically a handbook because at the time there really wasn't anything like that. And I had, um, contacted ECW press out of Canada because they published some wrestling books. And, uh, I contacted them with the idea. And then the next thing I know, like a few months later, I never heard back from him. And then I find out that Larry Matisek has a book coming out through ECW press that's about the exact same thing. So no shit. Yeah. Larry stole your book too, dude. Uh, Larry didn't. The the publisher did. Like, um, but yeah, no, I blame Larry for it in promos later when I worked for him. But um, <laughs> I had, I had you know so what's much so great about that is Larry, you know, rest his soul. Mm-hmm. One of the sweetest men I've ever like I've had the pleasure of working with. So and and I, and, a, and a story for another time is when me and Bull Schmidt. So Larry, that bull shot on me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like, dude, the fact that it just watching Larry's face, like, 
Dan, I don't think, I think you misunderstood. I think he's, I didn't like Bull telling him that I was a disrespectful piece. That's why I hit him. And he's like, yeah. well, I really wish he'd get to like, no, I think he's, a, it's like hearing <laughs> that. Larry Madison is such a sweet guy. So like, it's funny when, for you to cut promo shit and not him stealing your book. Because although he understands the business, you know, there was something in Larry going, I really hope he doesn't feel that way. Like, yeah, no. I was I, I wasn't salty towards him whatsoever about it. And I, I released the book and I wasn't looking to really make money off of it. It was just there were so many people that didn't have a clue. Like I would get emails from people because at the time I had like I was one of the like the OG Geo Cities guys. Like I had my own website when I was Geo Cities. Yeah. Like I had I had my own website back in like 2000. And so I would have people email me, though, and they're asking me questions. And I was just like, man, people don't know how to go about this. And so I wrote I wrote the uh, wrestling book and actually found out that there were some wrestling schools that were using it as part of their like like their curriculum. Like they would have everybody buy a copy and then they would no go. Home. Yeah, they'd read a chapter and then they'd come come to training the next time and they'd all discuss it. And um, so that was pretty cool. And then they uh, most definitely didn't expect this, but they also used it for a uh, presentation. I don't even—I don't even know if I'm saying this college right. I didn't go to college, so. Uh, but Tufts University. Yeah. Like, yeah, like they—they they used it. They used it for a presentation there, and it was. Uh, Dude, that's a good fucking school too. Yeah, that's what that's I heard. something to brag about. Yeah, so, I like one of the one of the guys that's a. Um, that's an instructor there reached out to me and said that they used it to talk about like the there, I guess it was like a psychology thing and about how to like how wrestling manipulates people's emotions like yeah. during the performances. Well, Jordan Peterson did a thing about Bret Hart. Like Jordan <laughs> Peterson's like this renowned psychologist and like, and he broke down watching Bret Hart and how like, his whole thing was in his presentation is that everyone thinks that wrestling's for rednecks, but he's like, it's actually a, an extremely in-depth, like it, it's, 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 it's way deeper than you think it is. And he explained yeah. kind of the, the Canadian hero and the Austin. And it was, it's a cool that you can find online. It's like a lecture, but it's like Jordan Peterson is just like scholar psychologist, almost to a point where like, you think the guy's void of human emotion mm-hmm. and he goes through this whole thing. But it's like, so when you say that, it's like, that's, but we know that like wrestling, like people think of pro wrestling is one way, but I, I went to on an audition yesterday mm-hmm. and part of the audition when they asked you questions was, you know, we talked about pro wrestling because they were like, what do you like about acting? What do you like about your comedy? And I was like, and, and I said, even pro wrestling, I was like, it's the, the tell a story mm-hmm. you have to build to pull an emotion and you have no safety, like safety net in right. wrestling. You fuck it up, you fuck it up. It's live, and you are using words and body. Yep. So it's very difficult. It's very, and it's it's just the manipulation of a crowd in front of you. And there's, I don't think there's anything like it. I mean, you could say theater, but like theaters on scripts, you know, wrestling. A lot of it is just creating that on your own, especially at the indie level or like the lower levels. Mm-hmm. So, one hundred percent. And like, dude, if you said Tufts, I know somebody I went to graduate school in Tufts, and then was a trainer for literally like a personal trainer, like for individual members of the Boston Celtics. That's awesome. They made some good. So, I mean, that's like I said, that's that's a cool thing to put on your resume, man. They teach my book or lecture my fucking tough university. Yeah. And so I um with with the rewrite of my autobiography is it it, it wasn't just about wrestling. A lot of it was about my history, my background and not being expected to um, 
make it through high school or, you know, make anything of myself. And, um, and just you were, not to, not to, but you were, you grew up in the system, the foster system. Yeah. Yeah. So, I was, I was, yeah. I was state, I was state raised. So if you see me walking down the sidewalk, you better step across the street. You better. He's a bad motherfucker, but that's, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it attributes to, like you were saying, your ability to read at such a high level, your, mm-hmm. your, that, that want to accomplish more, to be known, to be, you know what I mean? And you're coming from a situation where a lot of people right away give up because they're yeah. like, I'm here. And even other people's expectations. Oh, he's in the system. Well, he won't do shit. Yeah. And to watch someone like that's always bring up to watch you as driven as you are, as smart as you are, as I think a lot of that is a fucking it's a testament to your character, but also a testament of you, your character in that environment where most people either give up or think they're not going to do shit. You said, no, I'm I'm going to. I think my yeah. favorite quote from you is I smelled the shit and realized that it's not for me. I don't, I don't want it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I paraphrased. Is that the right way that I find yeah, out? No, it was, it was weird. Like, you know, back then, like a lot of people talk about how their childhood affects them, you know, throughout life and everything. And there's no denying that, that, that it does with everybody to a certain degree. Um, but I was always aware like I, I didn't spend a lot of time when I was a kid feeling sorry for myself, bouncing around from foster homes or having living in drug houses, things like that. Um, I, I never really spent a lot of time feeling sorry for myself. But what I did was like I, I latched on to um, I, I latched on to wrestling like that was always it was always like, OK, this is where I'm at now, but this is where I'm going to be. And so it was like I, I had this big, giant light at the end of the tunnel. And that's that's honestly what why I gravitated towards wrestling as an, a, a young adult and becoming an adult was because um, that's what saved me, I think, from falling down that that, you know, into the gutter with everybody else that was around me when I was growing up. So um, it was um, yeah, it was, it was a, a kind of a messed up situation, but man, it's like, you know, you hear about these people that grow up in the inner city with, you know, the, the only surviving of, you know, four brothers, the others have been shot. And, you know, instead of going out on the streets, he was on the basketball court or whatever. Like they're there. You you always hear like these people that have something like they, a, a lifeline, something that they can just focus all of their energy on, take out their aggression on, you know, they can like just, look past everything that's right in front of them and, and just look, look to build something for the future. So, um, but yeah, that's, that, that's probably about a third of my book is, um, just growing up in that environment and, you know, being determined to at, like exceed expectations because nobody ever had high expectations of me and, uh, you know, except for, except myself. And, uh, then yeah i wrote the book and when it came out like it it came out kind of hot and it i mean amazon has their their um bestseller list is very dynamic they don't reveal the exact science that goes behind it but it's like it changes every hour but it stayed up on the top of the bestseller list um it, it got to the number one spot about three or four days maybe after release and then it popped back in there a few times and then the uh the wrestling book um the manual it it got up into the top two or three maybe a few times so yeah, it was pretty cool didn't make me rich i'm uh if you take all the money i made off of all the books i've ever written it wouldn't buy me a new car so yeah but i mean fuck you have 
there's something. I remember we were like, we were at Show Me's that night, and our buddy Larco, who was like, you, I, we had we had told him briefly who you were. Mm-hmm. You had come up, and you know, he saw me and Mike and Mark, and everybody talking to you, and we're like, oh, this is Matt. It's our buddy from wrestling, and uh, we we're kind of like, yeah, Matt. You know, I joke around like Matt's like way more accomplished than any of us, but like <laughs> he still hangs out. You know, kind of. So the first thing Mark always does is Google everybody. Mm-hmm. And I heard like when he walked out and he's reading it, he's like, and in his mind, he's like, holy shit, this dude that's been sitting on the fucking patio talking to us is like, you know, <laughs> you look at your resume and you're like, oh fuck, man. Like you weren't, you weren't just in wrestling. You, you know, you, you, you had these shots of WWE, like whether it was working heat, you know, wrestling Scotty too hottie or, you know, like you had your tours of Japan, you had your, your books you had and, and to come from literally the foster system. You know, mm-hmm. in and out. It's like you're absolutely right. It's like people that it really is a sink or swim, and it comes down to the person. Because, like, dude, I was I just read basically a book that covers cases in foster care, and it's like mm-hmm. you see the this the wide fucking spectrum of people that go into it, and some of these yeah. people are damaged, and like they have no real ability, they have no really a real shot at getting undamaged because there's too many people involved. You know, it's like. Yeah. Say this person has, they need this particular care, but you can't give it to them because you got to, you got to keep the thought of all the other kids in, in line. You know what I mean? And so it's like, you're kind of just thrown into the, the, the kid has their own individual. That's their, their chance at survival. It's like, what do they have inside of them? That's going to make them. So some people, you I mean, you know, this, when they're hit with adversity, they either have that fire to get the fuck out of it, or mm-hmm. they take the victim approach or they take the anger approach. You know, they become yeah. antisocial. They be, you know, it's really a fucking toss up, man. And it's like, so, you know, the more I've read about that, the more, you know, it's like, I look at your scenario and I'm like, that is a, I think that's something that needs to be talked about more because mm-hmm. like nobody fucking say, it's like, I don't know. Like it, it really is like, we're, we're in the society now where it's like, yeah, it's great. I'm glad we're more empathetic. Like also stop fucking making it okay for people to be pieces of shit too. Like stop giving them excuses. Right. Yeah. It's like, I, it's like, I look at you and it's like, there's, you had every reason I would say did not even be a piece of shit, but just to do way less than you did. You did it because you held yourself to a higher standard. And that's like, mm-hmm. I think that's the fucking lesson that people need to learn. It's like, you will go as far as you want yourself to go. Yep. Or, 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 I don't know. I don't mean to be on my, it's, I don't want it to sound like mine and Abrams podcast, but like, it's, <laughs> I think that's a fucking testament dude to like, that's why I don't know. Whenever we do say shit, that's like really just fucking irrever- irreverent. I can't even say the mm. word. And we're fucking around. It's like, if anyone was ever to throw the whole, it was, you know, it's kind of like the conversation we had, you know, when people throw the, like the white privilege thing at, it's like, mm-hmm. yes, I get it. That like, if I walk into a bank or I walk into this and that, I, I automatically get, you know, I don't get the, 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 the eye raise or the, you know, the shit like that. But also yeah. what it neglects is that there's people with white skin that went through fucking atrocious uh, surroundings and it was not their skin that got them through it. It was their character. It was their, you know what I mean? And, and I think that that, and I get it. I get the, where people are trying to like kind of, put more emphasis on certain things to empower certain people. But I think mm-hmm. in a lot of ways it neglects the hard work and the fucking determination that, that others have. And that's what yeah. I'm kind of like that. Yeah. It, trust For me, sure. I'm super sympathetic and aware of what I am. And you know, I mean, I was just joking around with my roommates, you know, both my roommates are members of the LGBT community. So it's like, I'm mm-hmm. sitting there going, listen guys, and we always joke around. I'm like, listen, you two, 
we all know one thing. I got it the easiest. Okay. I was straight. <laughs> I was white and I'm a male, like right out the gate. You can't ask for more of like, you know, a default system. Right. <laughs> you gotta, yeah. you gotta I got it, you know, but also it's like, don't neglect uh, the, 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 the incredible stories and uh, of, of overcoming odds that people have just because of their skin color, you know, it doesn't mean it's, and I don't think that that's what it was meant to be, but I think that that's sometimes yeah. it's what it turns into. And it's like, it's like you, it's like, man, you grew up in foster care, right? You are smart. Your, your kid is one of the, I already said your kid, I thought was four years older than he was when I first met him. And I said, I've yeah. never been around a kid who made me feel stupid. Like made me feel like the young one. <laughs> You know, it's like when he talked to me the first time, I'm like, is this kid fucking 25? Is he a dwarf? Like, what is going on? <laughs> like, you passed definitely that on to him is like just that, like that, that dead on, like open eyed, you see shit, you react. You know what I mean? You know that a lot of people don't. There's a lot of dense fucking people out there that, that they're, they're blind to shit. And you, you are not. So it's like the re the writing, the book, Shit like that. Fuck the money. I think it's great to just get your story out there. More people need to see that shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. maybe it's just that I'm just a fan of yours. Maybe it's because you picked me for tag team again when nobody <laughs> would. Matt Murphy. It could be. Matt Murphy. Uh, and you and Stone made me a star. That's yeah. <laughs> fucking right. That's it. We needed somebody to take bumps. That was honestly. <laughs> I told someone, I said, my role in Metro, and the reason I loved it was like, you needed a bad guy that could get beat up. You really yeah. needed one. And like, it was set up to where, you know, either the bad guy was the champ and he couldn't lose, or the bad guy, like the whole fucking part is like, you, you're staying away from Strider. So it's like, yeah. one person has to get their ass beat. And it's like, that was my, which was fine. That is like, I am, it was, I enjoyed it thoroughly. It was like, I got to be mouthy. And it was like, if I'm going to get my ass beat, I would be the mouthiest as possible and just say mm -hmm. the most ridiculous. You know how much shit I go back on that I was saying, especially when Lucy was my partner? I was my, like, that. it's just terrible that you can't, or about Ricky Cruz. Mm -hmm. I was cracking Puerto Rican jokes in a Latino neighborhood. <laughs> and fucking, uh, uh, they edited it one time for Time Warner Sport or whatever, uh, Metro Sports. Mm -hmm. All I said was, I forgot what I said. It was something like, well, you're Puerto Rican, so whatever. But they beeped it out. And it makes me sound like I said something even fucking worse. Like, yeah. that I didn't even say Puerto Rican. That I gave a racial slur. Yeah. And like it was just, it. I don't know, man. I think I said something about, like, Lucy, Lucy's Latina, in case you guys don't know. And I said something about her always using tortillas for everything or something. Like, I don't know, man. But I look back and I'm like, you talk about shit that people get canceled for now. Yeah. It's like, dude, I was yelling some shit on just local television. <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah. But all in the approach to just get heat, man. That's all I wanted. And yeah, it's, like, it's it's so easy to go overboard. Like, I, there was a guy named Mr. Destiny who um, was coming to the ring one time, and the people were booing him. And he turned around, and he pointed at somebody in the crowd, and he said, sit down. And they were in a wheelchair. <laughs> like, that kind of stuff happens, like. Um, there was a, there, you remember crazy old guy? It, yeah. Was, yeah. So crazy old guy, for, for those like of you that don't know, he was a, um, he was a guy who would come to the Metro shows and he would get super, super into it. And I mean, he, 
like I don't know if he truly believed or if he was good at working us at, yeah. to, into thinking that he believed, but he would like froth at the mouth. And like there were a couple times that I squared up because I was like, man, if he like if he swings on me, I'm going to hit him and I don't want to. But, you know, and um, <laughs> so one time I'm cutting a promo and I and I was standing in the ring and I said uh, he, he was yelling. And I said, you know, every month I come out here and I hope I hope I see your seat vacant. I hope to learn that you died since the last show and every month you show up and you disappoint me and the whole crowd, it was like, they went from booing and they just, it was just like this groan. It was like, okay, performer, you went too far. And, um, and I just, I, I stayed on it. I didn't apologize. I didn't, you know, say anything on Twitter. There was really no outrage beyond, beyond the promo, but, um, yeah, he's he's since passed away, and you know I definitely appreciate him coming to the shows and everything. Did but he passed away. Yeah, he he passed away a couple years ago, I think. Oh shit, man! That guy was. Remember when they had the movie where it was like the Guardians or whatever? It was like the Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, whatever. And they all it was an animated, but they were all like fought for justice. No, I didn't see that. You must have. You, like, you had cable growing up. That's that's no, no, like, Okay, <laughs> it was like a movie that hit the movie theaters. It was something like The Guardians, and it was like an animated movie where it was like a fighting movie, like a, almost like mm-hmm. a like an action adventure. But it was like Santa Claus was one of the warriors or whatever. It was like all of that's our awesome. mythological like actually came in to save the planet or something like. It was some. <laughs> And it was about Santa Claus, and I like went to him. This is probably why the promo fell flat. But I went on about, "Hey, I just saw a movie with you in it, man. Like, it thanks a lot for saving humanity. Like, <laughs> you know." And, and like, he just looked at me, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And like, now I look back and like, "Oh, no one else saw that commercial. Like, that's why." Because <laughs> this idiot talking about like, though that that crowd, <laughs> that crowd was so it's so fun that when that kid threw the chair, like I, I took a suplex, I think from Dingo. Mm-hmm. And the kid slid the chair under my back on the floor. Oh, jeez. Like, yeah, and I was like, that kid was trying to paralyze me. And, like, I thought, like, they really got on his ass about it. And he and he apologized to me afterwards. But, like, in the back of my head, I'm like, I made a kid try to hurt me. Yeah. Like, that, to me, that's how sick we are as wrestlers. I'm like, oh, that's a that's a win. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do. It was always that or get the guy to laugh in the ring with you and mm-hmm. if, if you ever fucking i don't know you had me laughing whenever you took like when we were doing tag game again and you kept putting people in like a, a, an arm right like our arm ringer and mm-hmm. you just tag out yeah you like come in and you tag out. i know just like, pissed everybody off another guy that always got me that was pete madden the shit he would yell <laughs> it was so like dude when he fell like he like he face bumped the floor and then was like asking Magic Man to go get him back team. Firsthand. <laughs> it was like the stupidest references that like made me and it's like when you'd wrestle him, you're like you had to not because he gets <laughs> so into character, but he just yells such ridiculous shit to get like a rise out of like the crowd that like you had to not laugh. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, man. Whenever I and I go back to. And I want Mike, you know, if his job, if he can, to come on to the show, too, because there's a lot of good ones. But when ACH, Mike had gone on a tirade for four hours about how, not not for four straight hours, but for a while, about how he didn't like RVD's wrestling style. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just like, it just didn't look real. It didn't like whatever. Yeah. He was on it. 
And ACH in our match rolls me into the mat ring, and I just hear him go rolling thunder in my ear. <laughs> and it was like, dude, he had remembered what Mike said. We didn't say shit else about it. And as he goes to do it, like you just hear my, I hear Mike as I'm laying there go, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, that is the stuff that I miss. And it's like, you know, I don't know. People have that perception of pro wrestling. People have that perception of like, but it's, I think that's where, like I said, like in this podcast, we're probably in a lot of times going to be very irreverent because yeah. of that, like this one's been pretty good. Just trying to get people to, to, to get to know you a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And so that they kind of have our background before we start going back and forth about certain things. But you do have like in pro wrestling it's one of those where everyone knows the truth and although there's an acceptable story there's the truth to the story right mm-hmm. so it's, like, it's like the press release but everyone knows the truth yeah. and that truth although they're not supposed to say it will be brought up all the time you know what i mean mm-hmm. like if a guy is a chronic bedwetter but he's also the king badass and no one's supposed to know about it the bedwetting <laughs> will be brought up <laughs> all the time yeah. In front, like in the worst fucking, and it's like it's just that that, that I don't know. You call it to shoot or to break the fourth wall or to do whatever, but it's just funny to take a, a topic that you're not supposed to talk about and talk about it, and like in a really funny way. And it's like you said, telling the guy in the wheelchair to sit down. You know, yeah. I, dude, Bill Talley uh, hit me with a fake leg before, and it like literally <laughs> took the guy's prosthetic leg and hit me with it, and it was like. You have to keep pretending that it's like that you're, but you want to laugh and you can't. And I think that yeah. that route to keep things happy, to fuck with one another and to just keep upping the ante of anything is, is like in our DNA. And that's where it's like, I, <laughs> you really can't like, there's, I don't know, in wrestling, I feel like in the locker rooms, nothing was off limits, nothing. Yeah. You could say whatever. And that's like, as a comedian, I go back to, there is no bad joke. Mm-hmm. It's all a joke. Now, whether you find it funny or not is completely your, your right. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you're doing it as a joke right off the bat, you can't, you shouldn't take it serious. Yep. And I mean, it's like, if I'm harboring, if I'm going on it a lot, like I always say this, a rape joke is bad. A rape is bad. Everyone knows rape is bad. Mm-hmm. When you're making the rape joke and people get mad about it because it's a joke about rape, they're not listening to the point of the joke. Right. Usually there's a second part of it. Yes, they're making fun of rape, but they're not making fun of the rape itself. They're making fun of either people's ignorance to it, people's ignoring it, people's, you know, like our reaction. There's actually a better social statement that's actually, you know what I mean? Other than that, but they fixate on the subject line. Yep. And it's like, that's not even the fucking point of the story. Listen to what's going on. And like that. And I think that like wrestling, the ribbing and shit that we do to each other, that's mm-hmm. a big example of that. You know, it's like, fuck the subject matter. Listen to either the structure of what they're saying, the point of what the, there, that's where the joke's at. Like that's, yeah. it's like some people will never know to look for it there. Yeah. A lot of people just take life too seriously, man. Like, I don't know that like it, uh, it's it's weird, too, because like in, in in the wrestling locker rooms, like one thing I noticed, um, it's been a few years since I've been like back in a locker room or anything. But, man, it's it, it's a different world now. Like people have cell phones and they're talking about 
you know, just stuff that doesn't have anything to do with wrestling or they're talking about, you know, in, in wrestling's become so fragmented that they might be talking about something that has a big following, like a, a wrestling promotion that you've never seen and, or never heard of. But it's like, I don't know, back in the day, like we were talking, we talk wrestling and everything, but yeah, the subject matter is just way, way different. I, I, I went to a um, World League Wrestling Christmas party. I think it was the last year Harley was alive. And, um, like none of the guys were drinking and i was like really like man back in the day like they used to have to like keep a close eye on us you know because we were yeah. we were getting silly but um but yeah it's it, it's it's definitely it, it, and it's probably a good thing like you know it's it, but I, I get it your stories dude like when i was with oh yeah GW, if we went on a road trip it was known that i'm gonna get wasted and piss on somebody <laughs> like sleepwalking it sounds terrible but that was my thing because we get so fucked up yeah. and like you know i'd usually either be smoking a joint with delirious while i was pounding beers and i get hammered <laughs> and i piss on the camera guy or somebody i didn't when i say this guys i didn't like piss on him on purpose <laughs> i would just sleepwalk and piss it was a thing dude i got so <laughs> hammered one night you guys dingo this i chucked a bottle of captain morgan at cameron cage who was the gcw champion at the time Cause he kept fucking with me and then like lunged at him. Do you know when another guy had to jump on me and literally almost choke me out to like, get me to stop. And then like, we all sober up, we get up, we, we go home. And like, I got a call from Cameron like that next night. Like, Hey man, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to like, but I like blacked out, but this was common fucking happenings. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we got wasted. I think delirious put on his mask one time, got shit faced, ran into another person's hotel room. He left the door cracked and stole their blankets and ran out in character. <laughs> like, that is the shit we did. And then, yeah, I left wrestling for a little bit when I did the MTV shit. And I came back and it was. Everybody was like dieting. No one did. And you're like, what the fuck is going on here? Now, I quit drinking because I had a fucking problem, obviously. But yeah. like, I was like, everyone did? Like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, when did everyone become Mormon? Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, on, on one hand, I'm glad, like, the guys with WWE, I'm glad that they're staying in their hotel rooms, like, playing Xbox and shit now. We're not hearing about people that are, you know, knock on wood, we're not hearing about people that are in their 20s and 30s dying. Um, heart, it's it's a very rare thing now, which is awesome. Um, but, yeah, there, there are no hijinks. It, like, the are the stories are the stories 10 years from now going to be like, man, you remember that time we got a flat tire? You know, like, yeah, and none of us knew how to change it because we're yeah. fucking millennials. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, there's there's definitely there's definitely good and bad to it, but I don't know, man. It wouldn't have been nearly as fun, especially when you look at wrestling. Like what, like you're literally like probably one of the top paid guys if you're getting fifty dollars to work the show, and yeah. you're losing money. You're taking off of work and you're losing money. And you know, all you the best you can hope for is that the promoter doesn't screw you and gives you what he promised to pay you so you don't lose more than you expected. And so it's like with without those stories, like I, man, it just it would have been a whole different experience for me. You know, it wouldn't have been nearly as fun or nearly as rewarding. Exactly. It was like you had dude, one time I made the highest payday I ever made, and it actually got cut in half. I went up to Cleveland. And I was Anarchy's champion at the time, and they had promised me a certain amount. And then, they, of course, they had to cut that in half. You know, it's that whole, oh, well, the gate's light, whatever. Mm -hmm. I found out coming back, just out of everyone talking, that I had made more money than everyone else in the car put together. Mm -hmm. 
And I just shut the fuck up about it. And it's like, you're sitting, you got to drive for like nine hours and like, yeah. you're just listening to everyone talk about it. And it's like, including a tag team and two other guys. Are like, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, this was it. And I'm like doing the math. I'm like, Holy fuck. Even with my shit paid, they cut in half. Mm-hmm. I made more than all of them. And yeah. like the, the, the part that was like really cool. Is that one of the person was one of the, was the person who arranged the payday. So he knew too. Mm-hmm. And how he didn't dime me out, you know, or make me pay like extra gas. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. And it was like, but that those stories are fucking great, man. That's the that's the kind of shit that like I even with the cell phones, I missed. I, I think I, I on that same trip with Gary J, I got an alert for Twitter, and he's sitting next to me, and I get on my Twitter account, and he had posted that Dan Walsh has the biggest dick in professional wrestling. <laughs> and he posted on Twitter while sitting next to me and like <laughs> it's just uh, that kind of stuff and it's like that's what's so fun about it and it's you know you I it's like you said I'm glad nobody's like dying young and and, and, and uh, you know and especially at that top level where they're like on the road 300 days a year it's yeah. like they really can't live that lifestyle if they want to stay uninjured but it's also like there's that part of it where it's, it's when you're on the under levels and you're coming up like that's to me, I always said like that's the part of like that's the fun part. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. my one of my favorite stories to tell is my first time wrestling Chaz Wesson and him beating the shit out of me and literally drop kicking me and landing on me. That's how hard he drop kicked me. You said earlier about your stiff ass. But I love Chaz. I grew up like mm-hmm. I went on to love Chaz because it was like that was our as I'm getting my ass kicked, I'm laughing about not not laugh but it's like oh jesus like yeah it, strider strider beat the fuck out of me when i was like 18 and then i wrestled <laughs> him like 10 years 20, 10 years later and he still equally hurt me as bad as he did that. like i was yeah. like i'm bigger now this motherfucker ain't gonna like and then he like and i don't want to like beat me like he was not unsafe he was not he's totally mm-hmm. totally but he lays that shit in there and it's it's fun because you're like you know, you get, you feel like, but dude, he's, you better eat your Wheaties. And like, I remember at 18, I went back and watched a, it was an old GCW show. He lays like a clothesline and folds me in half. And I could tell that like, he didn't mean to hit me that hard. It's like, he's two fucking 30 at that time. I'm mm-hmm. 185. You know, so it's like when he hits you with any kind of intensity, you're going to like, but it was like that kind of shit. I remember like in those scenarios where it, I was hurting and I was kind of scared and I was kind of like, but I'm laughing because I'm like, I don't you know, you laugh in like your, your ridiculousness. Like you're like, it's like in the shittiest scenarios, you, you can either get mad yeah. or, or you just laugh at like, dude, I, I, I signed up for this. I chose to, this is the business I chose <laughs> to get into. And it's like, I don't know. I look back at it fondly, dude. Like those are my favorite stories. Cause it's like those people, you know, it's like, I love Strider and I love, yeah. you know, yeah. so it's like, you know, going on to develop a friendship with those guys on a very intense first meeting shows the magic of wrestling. You know, it's like bullshit. Mm-hmm. I love bull. Bull fucking swung a kettlebell at me one time. And if I wouldn't have <laughs> like moved, he didn't let lock me. He split my eye open. He threw a chair to the back of my head one time. Like we were, because we were just getting into it. We were just like, it was each of us just bouncing off of each other and she yep. got way out of fucking control. And he's so big and I'm so small. So it's like, it really did look like he was just, you know, coming. But like, that's fun. And it's like, if you have somebody that has a very soft or they're not going to 
you know, I think any reasonable minded person would look at a pro wrestler and go, you guys are fucking crazy. Like there's yeah. no part of it. That makes sense. But definitely even today's pro wrestlers, it's like, if you, if you go back and tell them those stories, oh, I would never allow that. Oh, that's unsafe. That's black. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Pussy, but I have better stories than you. Like I, you know what I mean? If, yeah. if she goes haywire in a match, I have more of a gauge of reference. Or more of an ability to deal with it than, you know, I've seen a motherfucker's ankle pop through his skin in front of me, like my third match in one time. So it's like, <laughs> you have that, it, that's the fun shit, I guess, in my, you know, in my mind. Yeah. I think it's like, when you're in that scenario, that's where you develop that, that fucking sense of humor. That like, you know, it's, it, I, some of my favorite people in the world are, like, that's what I miss the most about wrestling, if that makes since it's like not even the in-ring shit, even though that was fun. Mm-hmm. And I look back and like, you know, I, I definitely have a completely different outlook on it now looking back, but like I miss the fucking, and I think it's what most guys who get back into the business. I think that that's what they miss. They miss the relationships that you have with the other guys. Yeah. Whether it was in the ring, whether it's in the car, you know, that's at least my thoughts on it. Yeah. So uh, wrestling's so weird. Like I, I was talking to my wife about this um, last weekend, the weekend before, and we went to um, up to Jacksonville, Florida, and Trevor Murdoch was there defending the NWA World Title, and and seen him in like three years. And it's like we see each other, and it's like pick up right where we left off. Same with you. Last time I saw you was out in LA. I was uh, <laughs> staying at the Beverly Hilton. <laughs> I know you fancy bitch. Jesus. <laughs> I was staying at the Beverly Hilton laughing because I was like, you know, this kid from the trailer park. And now I'm walking next, walking next door and having, having drinks at the rooftop at Waldorf Astoria and all this crap. But, um, but yeah, Dude, you, like, you stayed at the hotel where they, where they would hold the golden globes. Yeah. That's how fancy you were. Dude. Yeah. So do you know what was really impressive about that? What's that? My bill. That was it. There was nothing at all exceptional about, about that place. Like I would have been perfectly content in the days in, but I was there for the, it was the NFL players association rookie premiere for this um, big event. And like, I, so I had to be there and the event was at that venue. So I was like, I'm just going to get a room here. So I don't have to fuck with, you know, transportation and everything. But, uh, but yeah, it's like we, we hung out and then, you know, it's like, well, we we keep in contact over Facebook and everything, but um, you know I can go years without seeing people from the wrestling business, and then it's just like it's it's like you see a person for the first time in years, and it's like you they were never gone, and I can't say that for people in other facets of life. You know, it's um, more disposable relationships, and like even people you don't talk to all the time. You know, um, like. Miss Natural, like she was, she's always been one of my closest friends in wrestling, and we can go months and months without talking. And then all of a sudden, one of us will hit the other one up and catch up. And you know, it's like, um, it's just a different, it's like, it it literally is like family, you know, Mm -hmm. actually better than family because most, most people don't enjoy spending that much time with their family. (laughs) Yeah. I just talked to Natural like not too long ago. Uh, I guess her daughter's looking at schools in LA. Oh, and nice. She's like kind of thinking about making the move just to be closer to her. And I was like, like, you know my feelings on LA. I told her, yeah. hey, man, if you're coming out here to go to school, they got great schools, right? And, yeah. and it has great, like, great scenery, 
but I'm always like, you're like me, natural. Like I'm a Midwest kid. You're Minnesota. Like these people suck. Like like a lot of people <laughs> are just fucking terrible. It's right, like super self-centered, super like, you know, you have some really wonderful people here. I mean, that's just the thing about living in a state that's bigger than Canada. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just got a ton of people in California, but especially if you're going to be hanging out near Beverly Hills, probably not going to run yeah. into the finest, most, uh, they're, they're pretty material. I told someone the other day, I said, dude, even the homeless people have iPhones and they're materialistic <laughs> as fuck. And then the same thing, they'll shit and jerk off in front of you while they'll be their iPhone being bored. Like it's, it's really the weirdest fucking place. You, you know, that's one of the fascinating things about wrestling because you also could have said that there's a wrestler who would shit and jerk off and look at their iPhone right in front of you. And that, that kind of, it wouldn't surprise me. No, it's that would be oh yeah, watch out for such and such. He's known for kidding <laughs> while on his iPhone and talking. Yeah, like that's how many promos. And this is not I, I didn't realize I did this so many times where I look back that I did while in the shitter. Meaning like at like vignettes where I had them film me coming out of the stall. Yeah. And I think it was like it used to be mine and Pete Madden's like joke with each other that if we worked for a company and they're doing vignettes we had to do at least one coming out <laughs> like we if you go back on our, our our resumes every company we've wrestled for we have a promo where we come out of the fucking stall that's awesome taking his shit i don't like it's just our stupid competition like most of the time the promoters never even knew why we wanted to do that but like <laughs> it was always like i did it i did i got i got the shitter shot did you get that like <laughs> So did were you there for my Blumkin promo? No, no, no. <laughs> it wasn't exactly a promo. It was with Metro. I don't think they. I don't think it ever aired. I think it was just something that they did just to kind of humor me. But um, I was the commissioner at the time, and so we did a promo where I came out of the shitter, and I come out with a shit-eating grin on my face, and I put my wedding ring back on my finger, and then the camera pans back over, and one of the female talents is sitting on the toilet with a shitty grin on her face and wipes the corner of her mouth. Was and it so, natural? Lucy. Oh, was Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I had just stolen her from Domino. Yeah. But I was like, this would be hilarious. And, yeah, I don't think it ever aired. I think they just filmed it just to shut me up. But, yeah, <laughs> that, was, that, was my, that was my only only shitter promo of my lifetime. You don't know what you're missing, dude. There, like yeah. that was. I don't know, and you know what? That I I put that on Pete Madden. Pete Madden always put those ideas in my head, like from when I first started wrestling, to like it just it was always a rule. He would just say it, like, "Let's see if we can get a shitter promo," and I never questioned on why. Yeah, but it just became a thing, and so like I look back at my career, and almost everywhere that I've worked, you can find that I have a promo where I either start coming out of the shitter or. <laughs> it's everywhere and i'm like i don't where the fuck that star pete man can talk me into anything he's the one that talked me into taking like a, a face bump on thumbtacks <laughs> i did it yeah he told and like i if anyone else would have told me to do that i wouldn't have mm-hmm. and i did it one time for dynamo and like took a, and just first off holy shit that stings like a motherfucker he's lying that, no, <laughs> that's yeah. not uh-huh. and then getting him pulled out is very like and then your head swells up and like but it's pete like that's just he does he likes to make people throw up in their mouth like when they so <laughs> funny so yeah he tells me i'm like oh i'll do it and then i like do it and i'm like even as it's happening like i'm like guys are like, slamming my head into it and i'm like why 
in the fuck did I listen to him, man? <laughs> yeah, Pete's Pete's and he's a unique guy. He's another one that I didn't know before I came to Metro. And like, and honestly, I, I mean, this sounds like a dick way of looking at it, but I was always just like, I, I was like, oh yeah, shit, hardcore guy, St. Louis guy and hardcore guy. So double shit. And then I yeah. like, got to watch him work and I was like, man, he's, he's really entertaining. And and then backstage, like he was, he was, he was one of my favorite guys. Like I always looked forward to seeing him at the Metro shows. Dude. Cause he could work. Like he was the, he did the hardcore shit, but he mm-hmm. could work any style you needed him to. Yeah. He just like that was his role in in Gateway, you know, because mm-hmm. Gateway became you know kind of modeled itself after ECW, yep. And uh, that hardcore era, but like Pete could do whatever. Like he worked with Matt Seidel a lot, so he could do the fucking like high flying or you know like could could sell and bump the high flying. He could yeah. do the technical shit if he needed to. He could really do. He was a student of all of it, but yeah, his like style was mostly to just like go nuts and like he mm-hmm. could take shitload of punch. I remember he broke his arm and I broke my collarbone the same time and they were opposite sides. So he was trying to pitch to the promoter that we tie ourselves together and we <laughs> wrestle as one person. And he made me practice like being next to him and us getting shoot shot off the ropes and coming back and throwing like like it was wow. that movie stuck on you with Greg Kinnear and Matt Dickey yeah, yeah. never happened. And that was wow. his and he was really pushing it. So it's like he just is that guy, man. He's 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 definitely like you said. It's one of those. He's the only guy I've ever known that when I was re- getting ready to go out wrestling, he turned around and goes, "If I pick up a shopping cart to throw it at you, put your put your uh, arms over your face." And then he just walked out, and that's all we ever <laughs> talked about. And I didn't even go, "Wait a minute, what?" I never second guessed it. I was like, "Yeah, I'll just." That's his impact he's had on me, and like once again, wrestling relationships and shit. That's just your. And you talk about a guy who says irreverent fucking things like <laughs> he literally like wanted to pick like our idea was we were going to go work as a tag team and in a company that we didn't know about. We were just going to mm. go out, but he was going to send emails and he was going to literally uh, what was it is like we were going to be there's two gimmicks he's going to have us do. One of them was like Canadian murder side deluxe and our names were Elmo and Sluggo. <laughs> but they were they were spelt with the E A U X like French Canadian, <laughs> and we were gonna wear hockey jerseys. And like every time that we and we wear hockey gloves, and every time we got tagged in, we would drop our gloves and then we'd go to wrestle. Like, <laughs> and then he's like, "Our all our promos are gonna be about socialized healthcare and uh, <laughs> punting on third down because that's what they do in the sea." His other one was like, um, uh, but it was something like. The African-American sex machines. And uh, <laughs> it was going to be full Nelson Mandela and uh, Martin Luther King of the Ring. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And he was like, just, and it's like, he, you're looking at him and he gets so fucking enthused about it. And I just almost pissed my pants. This is the same guy that calls. He does this on purpose. He calls like conservative radio shows. And then goes on these liberal tirades until they fucking <laughs> hang up on him. And then he'll call a liberal talk show and go on a conservative <laughs> tirade. That's awesome. He's just a funny fucking guy. It's like, like I said, those are the people that you will run into into pro wrestling. And and so hopefully we tap. That, that's a good disclaimer to people that are listening to this. If you don't know matter myself. Uh, if you start hearing some really off-color jokes and really commentary, that please know 
this is where we're coming from. Okay. It's more or less just fucking around and being, you know, so you now have a background of how we met about Matt. So you understand, right? So the premise to this show, which I really like, is I, I think we should keep going on this, uh, on the kind of the wrestling thing and like just saying what we feel is like, I think the next episode should be your true feelings on Andre the Giant. <laughs> because that one hit me out of nowhere. Like Andre the Giant, in case you guys don't know, legendary, like, you know, actor, wrestler, the HBO did this documentary on him where they make him seem like just this very sympathetic character but it's like the reality of it is is he maybe he's not as wonderful as you guys think he is and uh matt was like the first one that really like just called it like it was it's like stories that we all know but he's like wait a minute and then you just like laid it out there yeah and I was like, holy shit that's like a so i think we should hit that next next episode yeah fuck andre the giant i'll tell you why next week <laughs> yeah that's it and then uh another idea is like matt gives me like these ideas that are hysterical so i think we're going to take some of them i think people who put their entire email into the subject line that'll be <laughs> one of them uh what's some other ones that you're you, that dr- things that drive you nuts because what i want to do is i want to put them in a hat and then yeah. start off each episode we just pull one and Matt's just going to give us our thought, his, his thoughts on that. And then hopefully that? like if we, if we build up a good listenership, we'll have them start sending shit in too. But yeah. How about those assholes that drive gravel trucks? <laughs> there we go. Gravel trucks, email yeah. and subject line. What's another one? Oh shit. People that judge me for wearing socks with sandals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I just like, I don't know. I have weird shit. Happen. I live in Florida and you, I mean, I, everybody probably knows about Florida, man. So I have plenty of just wacky, random, weird experiences like going into an upscale bagel shop last week and having a pimp in there blaring Tupac over a little portable Bluetooth speaker while his, uh, I, I don't know if it was his employee or his girlfriend, whatever it was. Like, or both. Or both. She was wearing red pajamas and, he was eating in front of her and made her go outside and beg for money to be able to get her own bagel. (laughs) But he was, but he looked like the love child of, he looked like the love child of like freaking, uh, he just, uh, he looked like the love child of like, like Mr. T and fucking fat Albert. Like he just, he was like just all of this gaudy fake gold jewelry. And I was I, I had hateful thoughts towards him and I, sh- I probably shouldn't have, but um, yeah, I don't know. Man. I'm, I'm down here in Florida. So like just the, the, the silliness never stops down here. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get into that then. So I, I like that. We'll talk about whatever shit you see in Florida that you think should be brought up is that'll be wonderful. The email. I'm, I don't know why I'm so interested in hearing the email and the subject line thing. I mean, it is annoying. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. That's just, I think you have a great colorful way of looking at that shit. So we'll start off with Andre shitting on Andre and then, uh, we'll start Andre shitting on, shit on Andre. Right. We'll do, we'll do the opposite of the narrative created in wrestling. We'll shit on, we'll shit on Andre because Andre shit on other people. Literally. Yeah. And we'll talk about that next week. Uh, yeah. uh, so you guys, will, um, our next episode. So yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point to start off. Is there anything that you would like to, to, cover with our 
our future listeners here? I don't think so, man. I'm looking forward to it. Like I've been thinking about doing a podcast. We've been talking about it for quite a while and uh, I don't know. Let's have some fun with it. All right. Sounds good. All right, guys. Well, we'll, we'll see you next time. Uh, this is uh, Matt Murphy, Dan Walsh, uh, and we are irreverent and irrelevant. We'll see you next time.